Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and we've got back with us our friend from Florida, Mark Dennison. How are you doing, Mark? Doing great, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. I see that uh, you didn't go to the drastic measures that I did. I've got my quarantine cut here, you know, haircut. Uh, for those of you who are watching the video, you probably go, what happened to Jonathan's head? Like, you know, uh, but I, I had to, you know, I knew we were going to be out for an extended period of time. I knew that uh, all of the the haircut places were going to be closed down. And I just, I literally took matters into my own hands and I said, you know what, we're going to do this and, and I'll be, uh, I'll be looking for another haircut in a couple months. So I see that you actually look very clean shaven and, uh, and, and put together. So that's pretty good. You caught me on a good day. That's good. (laughs) Well, Mark, I appreciate you being with us because we had a, we had a listener that had written in a question, um, or surrounding this topic of sex and alcohol. And, you know, I realized looking back through our archives uh, in, our, in our radio program, uh, we'd never specifically really addressed these two together. We've talked before on our program and in our ministry before about what we might call dual addictions, roughly, uh, at least statistically, it's around 80% of, of those who have a uh, sexual addiction tend to also have a what we call a dual addiction. They have more than one substance or behavior that they're uh, addicted to. Um, and typically what we've seen in our ministry over the years is a lot of that is an alcohol and sex mix of some kind. But this listener was wanting us to really address this connection between sex and alcohol and, um, and talking about it in terms of seeing this person is seen in their own marriage and their relationship, kind of the downside of how it's blocked intimacy. There seems to be um, lost desires. It's like, and in some cases, it's almost like sex is, as this person said, becomes the third or, or alcohol becomes the third person in the relationship. And so this person is really wanting us to dress like, man, there's something here that's going on when you mix alcohol and sex that tends, that's having some kind of detrimental aspect to the, not only this individual, but also to the relationship. So let's, I wanted to just pose that there. Let's dive in wherever you want to start kind of attacking this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the subject. Oh yeah, good, good, absolutely. Well, first, just my own observation in recovery, as you know, I've discussed before, um, part of what I do for my own recovery is to attend 12-step groups, and I'm in two groups a week. I've been doing that for going on seven years now. So you do the math, that's 100 meetings a year, so six or 700 meetings. And just observing the other guys as they check in, as they share, as they tell their story, when people ask me what percentage of the guys that you see in SA or SAA or some other group that's uh, tied to sex addiction, what percentage of them are also alcoholics? And not just saying that they drink, but are actually alcoholics. My own observation is it's about 60%. And as a part of my training with the Masters in Addiction Recovery through Liberty University, I was required to attend six AA meetings and just kind of went as a recovering addict to open meetings. And I went to large groups uh, where there were 50 to 75 um, alcoholics in the room. And as I listened to them share and got to know them, I discovered that many of them were also sharing the same thing. 
that they struggle with sex addiction. Now, I didn't hear them share as much about sex as I've heard sexaholics talk about alcohol because it's not as safe and I didn't go to as many of their meetings. So clearly, I could tell just in my own experience that there's a tremendous crossover here. Um, a study done by University of Minnesota a few years ago showed that number to be around 58% that have sex addiction and alcohol addiction. Again, not just drinking, but actually addicted to alcohol. Patrick Carnes actually did a study of a thousand sex addicts a few years ago and watched them over five years. And his number was that only 13% of those thousand sex addicts did not have a substance addiction. And most of the substance addiction is alcohol and sometimes goes to others as well. Um, one of the really interesting things to me that shows that there's a real danger of the two locking together is that we hear the number often from AA groups that about 10% of men and women who ever drink alcohol become alcoholics, not by choice, it's a chemical disposition. A study that's been done by the University of Indiana, totally separate from that, has looked at sex addiction and found that of all the men and women, women included, who view pornography, 9% become addicted. And so there's something about this dopamine rush in the pleasure center of the brain that is triggered by either one of these chemicals. They're, they both become chemicals that drive us to the same re response. And so it's very natural that we would go from one to the other. Uh, a couple of terms I wanna throw out. One is the co-addict, the other is crossover because there's a real difference. There's a lot of co-addicts that are in that group you talked about, the 80%, whatever that number is, that have dual addictions. They're addicted to two things at the same time. And again, the most prominent of those for sex addicts is alcohol. But then there's also what is known as crossover addiction. Co-addiction means that I have two addictions at the same time. Crossover means I trade one for the other. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that in a moment, about why we do that and why someone might bounce back and forth from pornography to alcohol. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you're, as you're saying that I'm thinking, um, there's a lot of ramifications of this just for the individual to begin with. Right. So I, I want us eventually to get to talking about how this affects a relationship, but as you're saying this, and I've seen this in a lot of guys that are either, you know, co-addicted or then they go, they do the crossover addiction. There is a, um, there is a stunting that happens like to a person's ability to be even self-aware. Certainly they're not others aware. So can you talk a little bit about that of like the, the damaging effects that this has when there is that combination? Let's talk about the co-addict first, somebody who yeah. is, is addicted to both sex and alcohol simultaneously. What are some of the, the, the damaging effects of that on the individual, on the co-addict? Well, you, you just nailed it with the word numbing. Um, 2005, Patrick Carnes did a study on the similarities between sexaholism and other addictions and found that uh, he identified 11 of them. But one of those that Carnes talks about is numbing because what happens is that the couple who, it, it's, it's like pornography. We know that when a couple decides we're going to engage in porn because we think somehow that's going to be healthy for the marriage, that it ends up anesthetizing intimacy. And alcohol does the same thing. There's a numbing effect. Uh, another problem of alcohol is it affects uh, the, the sex addict. 
is in disinhibiting. Uh, what he does is he wants to become the sex addict or the, even if he's not a sex addict, he wants to become more sensual, more sexual, more free. And so he drinks in order to take away the inhibitions. And then what that creates is a false intimacy within the sexual context because he's no longer who he really is. He is now masquerading as somebody else and it works both ways. And so you'll see a lot of co-addicts will go back and forth from one to the other. They numb themselves with both addictions. They use each one to mask the other uh, so they can somehow, they think, free themselves up. And as you and I know, sex addiction is really an intimacy disorder. And so by masking that, by numbing themselves, it takes away the realness, the genuineness, the authenticity of intimacy. And now the person that's in bed with his wife or her husband is not, not the person at all. It becomes someone that, that is masked by this uh, chemical and what's going on on so many different levels. Yeah, and I think I think a, a cousin to the numbing is a, a longing to escape, right? So yes. there's a there's a there's a pain to reality that can't really be engaged, and so therefore sex or alcohol is a way to then escape. And of course, if you put those two together, like you said, the alcohol really reduces inhibitions. I mean, it's just like you yeah. know, it, it allows you almost to enter into a different character. Um, and so yes. now, and I, and I guess in the same way that any addiction, there's, there's always going to be a, a pattern to it. Right? right. So, so talk a little bit about how this sort of creates ruts in, in to where you start repeating a similar pattern. Like for instance, I've seen this happen many times where, um, either the, the sexual temptations lead to drinking that then lead to whatever else or the other way around the drinking then leads to going into sexual things and whatever comes after that. Sure. Why is it important to, for a person to begin to recognize or understand those, those patterns? I'd say a couple of things. One is because it's progressive and not only does porn addiction lead to other forms of acting out, masturbation, prostitution, crossing sex lines, 60% 60% of sex addicts at some point cross a sex line, even though they may be heterosexual and usually are. So there's a progressiveness to it. And when we become numb from one addiction, we cross to the other one thinking that it's going to give us a high that we couldn't find any other way. But the other is the thing you already nailed, and that's it's an escapism. Uh, the way I say to the guys that, that I coach through a recovery plan is that pornography is really not a bad problem. When we think of it as a problem, we start treating the symptom rather than the source. It's not a bad problem as much as it's a bad solution. The problem is intimacy, the problem is inadequacy. And so we look for something that we can bring into ourselves or bring into the bedroom that's going to change that. And it just becomes progressive, it becomes a cycle. And the the way it always works is we think it, we want it, we do it, we hate it, we cover it up, and then we go do it again. And the same is true with an alcoholic. It's, it's true with pornography. Uh, in that cycle, we just get in that rut. And we eventually become so frustrated with that, that to get off the crazy train, we jump on another carousel. And then we jump back and forth. Yeah, I love that idea of a, of a bad solution. And I think I, think I want to just sit on that for a little bit, because I think this particular listener's question, I think that's part of what they were expressing in the question right, is, man, this isn't working. 
And, and it's really the idea of alcohol has kind of become this third person in the relationship. There is a disconnect between me and my spouse. There is a, there's a fracture here. And, and I love, I love the, the framing that you gave to that because it'd be very easy for this, this couple to look at the quote unquote problem in their marriage and only see it as a problem. And what I hear you saying is, no, the pattern that's been developed there is actually a bad solution. Yes, it's creating problems, but what, what I'm hearing you say is what needs to be addressed is not just the quote unquote alcohol as the third person. Yeah. The alcohol isn't the problem. There's something deeper than that. The alcohol is a bad solution. So I, can you say a little bit more about that, sure. especially how, yeah. it, how it manifests in a relationship? Yeah, the question that the person needs to ask is not, why am I struggling with alcohol, but where did this come from? How did it get into my room? And the answer for the alcoholic, and this is true in 12-step groups, you see it all the time from one group to the next, and it, it really doesn't matter. It's why if I travel, I can go to an AA group and fit right in. Uh, there are three things that are normally at the root of this. One is isolation, another is trauma, the third is abuse. And so when an individual has been traumatized by anything, and many times it happened before they were even born, uh, something that happened with their parents, something they're not aware of, a generational issue, something when they were a preschooler, something they were exposed to, uh, they have to numb themselves in order to cope. It's a coping mechanism. So there's an abuse, there's trauma, there's isolation. And as they begin to, to cope, however they do, it really doesn't matter if it's alcohol or pornography or gambling or overeating or any of the other 166 addictions that you can find in books. It's, it's, it's dealing, the, the key is to deal with that underlying uh, trauma, the abuse, the isolation is causing it. And until we do that, the person's going to be married to their addiction rather than their spouse. Yeah. So let's let's uh, talk a little bit about um, crossover. We've you know we've talked a little bit about coatic, but what does what does this idea of crossover look like, and and how does that maybe manifest in this combination of alcohol and sex? Well, what will happen is that the person who's struggling with one, they'll stay and usually focus on one or the other. There's always a primary and a secondary. They're never equal, and so the person who starts out with alcohol as a primary addiction when that gets to a point where he is just losing his mind, he can't function, he starts looking for something else. He crosses over uh, to pornography, to natural substitute, and he can't live with himself in the alcohol, he's not productive at work, he can't drive, he can't think, so he naturally transitions, which is very easy to do in a time, as you and I are having this discussion with the coronavirus, um, you know, porn sites are just off the chart with people watching because of so many things are going on. They've got downtime, they've got accessibility. And so they shift from one to the other. So they move over to the, to the pornography and they do that as long as they can. That numbs them, that gives them uh, a sense of release and it masks. And then there comes a time when there's either one of two things happens, either the guilt becomes too much or the reward is not as high as they want it to be, so then they bounce back. And occasionally you will find the person that in a drunken stupor, he finds the, uh, the, inabil the ability to just loosen up and now look at porn that he otherwise would not do, or vice versa, the co-addict. But usually it's the crossovers the problem. They're just searching for something until they find it. And they normally will find them, they don't 
live in one forever. They'll bounce for a month, month over here, a week over here, a week over here, and they just keep bouncing back until they land on something that they feel like fulfills them, and of course, nothing ever does. And so it just becomes a relentless, never-ending, to use your word, rut. And they keep digging and digging until the crisis happens. And if that crisis doesn't happen, then something tragic often does. Now, before we move to try to help the, our listeners um, have some hope and maybe some solutions and ways to, to you know, move away from this unhealthy pattern, is there anything else you'd like to say about just some of the, either the damaging effects or anything else about just kind of the, uh, the situation of alcohol and sex being combined and, and kind of the danger it produces? Yeah, one thought comes to mind, and that is that with, with both of these, what the person does when they begin to engage beyond their moral code, uh, their comfort level that says this is okay, when they're into that territory that says this doesn't feel right, there's a temptation with alcohol and sex to, to do three things. And at the risk of sounding like a three-point sermon, it's to minimize, rationalize, and compartmentalize. That first level is when we start minimizing, it's just one drink, or it's two drinks, or it's three or four drinks, or it's not just in the evening, also in the morning. It's just a little bit of porn. I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just a little. We minimize, we rationalize that it's okay, it's not hurting anyone, and then we compartmentalize. And when we get to that area of compartmentalization, we're really in trouble. And that's what all addicts are really good at. We compartmentalize life. We we do marriage over here, we do business, we do church, we do God, and then we do our addiction. And we think, well, our addiction is only using up 5% of our time, so how bad can it really be? And we've got to recognize those same compartmentalization tactics are being taken with either one of these addictions. And so whether it's a co-addiction or crossover addiction, we've got to recognize that for what it is because the compartmentalization means that we're never present because our mind is always someplace else. We're chopping up life, meaning we're never all in any place. And so we really have got to get help for that. Well, and, and one of the other things that's super dangerous about that compartmentalization thinking is it's, it's kind of akin to saying, you know, having a full glass of water here and saying, but there's only two drops of cyanide in it, yeah. you know? So what, what, what negative effect could that have on the rest of the glass of water, right? And, and it's that idea of not realizing what you think is a small thing is infecting and infesting the rest of your life. Well, so, especially for a sex addict as myself, because there's a, uh, there's something within me that is already wired for that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, for me personally, I made the decision a long time ago to never touch alcohol because not just because of a moral position on it, uh, religious position, but just from a very fundamental perspective, I know who I am. And I know that it's very likely I'll be in that 10% that is just triggered and, and, and I'm going to go off the rails because it just takes a little bit for an addict. And so for a guy who's hooked on pornography or sex addiction or alcohol, they really need to be aware of the fact that that didn't just happen. You know, it's not just a roll of the dice or something in our past because, again, it's a solution, not a problem. And that same problem will manifest itself in so many other ways. Uh, I know that the guy next door can drink a glass of wine, probably be fine. I do it we could be looking at serious problems. So it's real important for me to understand that, that I just cannot take that risk because of the damage they can do to me and what that can do to my relationships. 
So let's talk about some some hope in the last little bit of time that we have here. You know, what what hope can we give to those those couples and those individuals that are out there that are saying, I'm in this cycle. This is my pattern. I have I have totally married sex and alcohol in a way that is not uh, healthy. It's not good. It's it's destroying me. It's destroying my relationships. What would you offer to those individuals in terms or in those and those couples even yeah. of of point them towards some hope? What are some solutions rather than the bad solutions? Like what are some good solutions to the problem? Well, the first thing I would tell them is make sure that um, you identify the source, the trauma, the isolation, uh, the abuse, and sometimes that requires years of therapy. But the family systems, uh, the issues that are in our past have got to be identified. We have to deal with that. And many times that means seeking experts in the field. Beyond that, uh, I always point people to the biblical model of John chapter 5. There was a man who had been sick for 38 years. And this guy, man, he was just really in a bad way. He, he, he needed to be well. He knew he needed to be well, but he just wants it. And he was so desperate that he drug himself out to this pool of water, thinking maybe if I could just get in that water, I'll be well. And there were four things that had to happen for him to bring hope. And the same four apply to the person who struggles with sex, alcohol, or both. First, he had to be desperate. Jesus said to this man, do you want to be well? In the original text, he was saying, are you desperate? Do you really want it? Do you want it bad enough? And then beyond the desperation, there had to be surrender. Jesus told the man, you've got to go into the water. But to get there, you have to pick up your mat and walk. Until this man was willing to do the improbable, Jesus did not do the impossible. The man had to pick up his mat, had to do whatever was in his power to do. For the addict, for the person struggling with alcohol or sex, that means get help. You've got to do what you can do. Go to a meeting. Go to a therapist. So there has to be desperation. There has to be surrender. And then there has to be disclosure. Someone has to know the story. This man was found the next day in what would have been the church in that day. Jesus found him there in the temple. Uh, someone has to know our story. For anyone that's watching, listening to this today, they've got to recognize you cannot do this alone. Someone has to know your story. A therapist, a sponsor, somebody. The last part is there has to be community because you just can't do this alone. You've got to be in a group. Uh, I know, Jonathan, that you do the Gateway to Freedom seminars. Those are fantastic. I recommend so many men that have gone to those. And what's really cool is that whether it's an alcohol issue or a sex issue, the source is the same, the strategy is the same, the, the solution is the same. And so if someone says, well, I'm really struggling with sex as well as, as or alcohol as well as sex, which one do I need to deal with? The answer is yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's really a dual thing. You, you literally cannot deal with one without being a blessing to the other. So take your pick because addiction is addiction, struggle is struggle, masking is masking, trauma, isolation, abuse, it's all the same. And so getting help for that, there's absolute hope for anyone if they're really desperate, if they really want it, if they're really willing to seek help through ministries like yours and ours, they can find that help. It's absolutely available regardless of which of those struggles they're in in the moment. Yeah. And so are, are there any resources that you would recommend um, that might help somebody in this? I know you've, you've written a book, Jesus and the 12 steps. Is that something that you think would be helpful for a person in this kind of situation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jesus and the 12 steps. What I've done is take the, the 12 steps from AA 
and broken them down based on 12 experiences that Christ had encounters that he had with men and women to show how very biblical that is. Uh, but also, I have a 90-day recovery guide that we use through our ministry, There's Still Hope, where we take guys that are struggling with an addiction, especially a sex addiction, and walk them through a 90-day plan. And we've had a 90% success rate, meaning those who go through this plan have zero acting out for at least the next two years uh, as we've tracked that out. It's such a huge issue. We offer those resources. I do one-on-one coaching. I'm starting groups. Obviously, Be Broken, you guys are on the cutting edge of this, have been for a long time. Uh, CSATs are available, certified sex addiction therapists. Uh, always recommend those, especially the ones trained with Open Freedom, Dr. Magnus, and others. Uh, so absolutely, there are so many resources there now that when you got into this industry, into this ministry, just did not exist. And you felt so many of us come along with this. So uh, they can reach out to us at thereistillhope.org. And we can certainly help or at least point them to others who can as well. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that we like to say to folks that, you know, especially if they're asking that question, like, okay, so I have I have both a struggle with alcohol and I have a struggle with sex. And so which one do I tackle first? And and one of the things that I like to say, especially if a guy is saying to me, well, do I get into a, you know, a sex addict recovery group or do I get into an alcoholic recovery group? And and I like to say that if you're if you've got an addiction, you can't throw too much at it in terms of resources. And now we don't want you to now like get unwell because you are literally, you know, in 10 groups a day or something, you know, to where like now you are unhealthy as far as like your body's breaking down and all that. But I like to say, get in community. You just need to get in the community. If, yeah. And I like what you said earlier. A lot of times there's a primary and a secondary, right? One feeds the other. So sometimes I'll say when we may discover what the primary is, okay, if it's sex, yeah, let's, let's get you into sex addict recovery group and go from there. Like you said, the underlying principles of the source of the problems are always going to be so similar. So we don't need to we don't need to quibble over like, well, is do you get in this group or do you get in that group? You're like, yes, get in a group. You know, uh, the only thing I would add to that is if someone's really not sure on that, I always point them toward the sex group first. And the reason for that is that if you walk into an AA group and you start bringing up the fact that you struggle with sex issues, there's going to be people in the room that are going to look at you like, really? I mean, that's that's not what we're here for. Uh, sorry about that. And and that's kind of a new thing uh, for many of them. Whereas if you go to an S group and you bring up alcohol as part of your past, everyone expects it. You know, it's yeah. mainstream. There's no embarrassment there. Uh, it's not hard to talk about. It's a lot harder in an AA group to talk about a sex problem than it is in a sex group to talk about an alcohol problem. I almost feel like I don't fit in because I'm not a drinker. I'm not an alcoholic. You know, when I go to meetings, and I sponsor guys, you know, that I don't, they don't even know about our ministry. And as I'm sponsoring them, most of the guys I sponsor are alcoholics also. And obviously I don't lie to them, but when we, they get to know me, sometimes they become a little surprised that I'm not an alcoholic just because so many people are. So it's always a safe landing place. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, Mark, I appreciate your time and your input on this. And we, we really hope that this is going to be helpful, not only to this listener that had the question, but also to the rest of our listeners. Cause like you said, this is a huge problem. There's, you know, 50, 60% or more uh, of the folks that are in the 
the sexual addiction recovery community are going to find this applicable because this is what they're struggling with. So thanks for your time and for being with us today. Jonathan, the last thing I want to leave with those that are watching is another great resource that I know you're very familiar with is SILS, S-I-L-S, Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit, which as of now is scheduled for September and and, um, really encourage people to check that out. A lot of resources there as well. Yeah, it's a great place to get trained on how to understand and apply God's design for sex. And certainly that can even apply to these issues as well. Um, So thanks again. And listeners, we're always grateful that you're with us. And we hope this has been a blessing for you. If you need more resources or help from us, please reach out to us. Uh, But we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.